0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love.
1: So welcome to episode fifty-nine. 59
0: and feeling fine. You know why? Because we're still on vacation. Ooh, vacation. Va- you vacation know- only. Yep. Oh,
1: I was just gonna say this is so <laughs> dumb, but every time Ben and I leave for a vacation, we always are like, Vacation Nation! That's our <laughs> that's our vacation chant when we get in the car, vacation nation!
0: Oh, we're always like, get in the fucking car! Get in the car! <laughs> You're supposed to leave two hours ago yes <laughs> i checked yes i have that get in the fucking car that's our that's I what we know do
1: I, I don't know if i packed that you have fucking pack your own stuff <laughs> that's what ben's saying to me because i'm just like i don't know <laughs> 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 what were we supposed to bring <laughs> uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. i packed my bag oh ben uh ben's the one that packs his own bag you mean no, I mean, I packed. Oh, my bag. Oh, you pack your own ben, bag.
1: I pack my own bag, and then Ben packs everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it's <laughs>
0: yeah. like in our house, too.
1: And then I'm like, I don't know where anything is. In, <laughs> he somehow fit it all in the car. Yeah, so we're still on vacation. We're still on vacation. I'm probably sipping a martini, which I've never had, but I I, am, I probably am. Probably sipping, I'm, There's probably some cabana boys socially distant Cabana Boys. Um, I'm not going a place with Cabana Boys, but I'm just going to pretend like I am. What
0: are you doing on your vacation? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably checking emails for my laptop and um, (laughs) chewing Uh, on some Tums because my acid reflux is terrible. (laughs) I'm really uh, good at relaxing. I'm a really good relaxer.
1: (laughs) Just imagine relaxing. Jen, come on. I mean, I'm probably checking my laptop too, but you know, in my mind, I'm sipping martinis probably and enjoying them. them. I'm not like, oh, this is disgusting. <laughs> uh, so, guys, us being on vacation, Jen chewing tums, um, which is what she does for fun, means that we are c- bringing you another episode of past stories. So, but this week, it is all love stories
0: atlanta's love stories b (laughs) 98.5 do you remember atlanta remember no remember Remember? (laughs) nope (laughs) so that's what we're doing we're
1: bringing you love stories uh from episodes past hopefully if you've heard them before you'll enjoy them again i like to listen to episodes over and over so i'm sure you guys do too and if you haven't if you are newer well, these will be new to you and maybe you'll go back and listen to some old love stories. Either way, this is what's happening this week. And we'll be back <laughs> next week with something new. Yeah. All, All right. right, let's get to it. Okay. Hey Jen. Hey Sally. Uh would you like a love story?
0: Yes, please.
1: Yeah, I feel like I I need a like a palette
0: cleanser. <laughs> we do need a palette <laughs> cleanser. I don't like the way that one ended, but I know. I felt like I needed to tell it.
1: Yeah, it's like every I just you know, manipulative men. <laughs> I know it. It needed that, to be
0: told as a warning tale for, yeah, 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 for yeah. No, I mean, I'm glad you
1: told it, but it also just made me really sad. So I have a good love story. Hell yeah! I'm really excited about this one. So this is a story of Nayaf Herbid and Betu Alami. So in 2003, Iraqi uh, citizen Nayaf Herbid. Um, found himself in the midst of the Iraq War. If you remember, that is when um, the U.S. invaded Iraq. Um, He was a fine arts graduate, and uh, like most fine arts graduates, he couldn't find a job. Um, So he signed up to be a translator for the U.S. Marines. Um, And he was based in Ramadi, which was the worst place at that time. Uh Um, He would go out on patrols, and people would be killed by IEDs and snipers, and he was just constantly asking himself, like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Um, and then, so in 2004, Nayef was working as an interpreter when he met Batu Alami, who was a soldier in the new Iraqi army. Um, and they were part of, um, part of this mission to reclaim Ramadi General Hospital, which had been taken over by insurgents, So Betu as um, a soldier and Nayef as an interpreter for the U.S. Marines. So it was like a dangerous mission in the most dangerous city and at a very dangerous time in the war. And so at night, after the stress of the day was over, the two men would come together, together in this safe house um, to kind of like recover. They would eat a meal and then they would often like find an excuse to kind of sit in the back garden by themselves and they would talk for like hours and hours. And Nayef said those conversations helped keep him sane during this time. So Nayef was, was gay, but he was out to only a few friends. Um, And he had been, like, instantly attracted to Betu. Um, Mm -hmm. He told one of his friends he worked with, like, how handsome Betu was. And the friend was basically like, yeah, there's a lot of hot guys here. It's the Iraqi army. (laughs) (laughs) There's hot guys everywhere. But Nayef was like, there was just something about Betu that was, like, perfect. Like, he was, it was more than his looks. He was just really drawn to him. Um, So he got to know him, got to know Betu over the dinners, and he found himself in these, like, intense circumstances, falling in love. Which oh. you can imagine, like, under, you know, you're under, like, so much danger and so much danger, and then you find this, like, bright light in the midst of all this. Um, so he said that when they talked, they only wanted to talk about beautiful things. Because, he said, because, you know, we see dead people. We fight. Oh. So what we talk about is our life and our past, about how we feel, about where we'd like to be in the future. And that was very beautiful in that difficult moment. And neither... Told the other that they were gay, um, but they both knew that they had feelings for each other. So after just four days, Betu told Nayef, I love you. Um, And in response, Nayef was like, um, Yeah, it's been fun. No. I was like, No. Uh, Ooh, I don't know. I I got things to do. (laughs) Uh, No, so he kissed Betu. Oh. And he said, Betu said he was so excited he didn't eat for two days. (gasps) Um, but because this was Iraq and being gay was not okay, yeah. um, and this is an army, so even more conservative. If they were caught, they could go to jail for fifteen years or worse. And um, Naif says, said to be gay in Iraq, it's very dangerous. It's losing your life. You get shamed to the family. You lose your family, and you it's lose your friends. Fault. You lose almost everything. But despite these dangers, they started spending all their time together, and their American and Iraqi colleagues noticed. Um, and so, but some of them were like on board, like they were like happy for them. And, um, Nayef was told his American captain about Betu and he actually helped bring Betu over to stay with him at the American camp for a few nights. Oh,
0: that's so great. Um, but
1: some of the other soldiers actually stopped talking to Nayef after they found out that he was gay. And one of his translator friends from his home city ended up hitting him with a stick, breaking his arm.
0: Oh my fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> fuck that guy. Oh. Um,
1: so for nearly five years, the two kept their love a secret. Sometimes people like the American captain um, would help, people would help arrange them to rendezvous, but they had to be very, very careful. And But never, nevertheless, no matter where they were stationed or um, what they were doing, they talked to each other every day. And then in 2009, Nayef's life became dangerous for another reason. He was targeted by militants for his work as a translator. So the militants started writing people's the names of people who worked with the US in the street and suddenly like Nayef couldn't see his family or friends anymore oh because God. he would endanger them. So all of his neighbors knew that he worked with the Americans and he they started calling him a traitor. So with the help of a US Marine captain, Nayef applied for and was granted asylum. And came to live in the United States. And Nayef said, I knew if we stayed in Iraq, I had no future. We were going to end up married to women and hiding out our whole lives. But I had watched the TV series Queer as Folk. And I realized that there Yay. were gay communities on the other side of the world. So Nayef moved and he was settled in, um, in Seattle in 2009. And when he got to the U.S., he had $50 in his pockets. And he was safe, but he was also devastated and felt guilty that he had to leave Betu in Iraq. And Betu, on his part, said, like you said, I was so happy. That he was safe. Yes, I was thrilled that Nayef was safe and I could finally live his life out as a gay person. Um, He said, for me, I live in Iraq and now it's just me and it's so difficult. And and Nayef said, I felt very guilty. So the two stayed in constant contact by phone or by Skype or other means. And every day, they talked every day. Betu spent most of his money on phone cards to speak with Nayef. And meanwhile, Nayef was spending all of his time trying to find a way to get Betu to come live with him in Seattle. But Betu had a 25-year contract with the army, and he was the only one supporting his whole family in Iraq. So it was a hard decision for him to leave, but he knew, like, he was like, I had to be with Nayef. Like, this was, he was my destiny, and he was my future. Um, but because of Betu's military history, because he was with the Iraqi military, it was really difficult to get permission for him to enter the U.S. So meanwhile, his life had also become more dangerous um, because a relative of his had discovered that he was gay. Oh, no. And so Betu started to fear for his life. Um, and then eventually, with the help of friends, Nayef got Betu to safety in Beirut, Lebanon. And then he found a way to get Betu to Vancouver, Canada, um, where Nayef could come visit him. So he's in Van- Betu's in Vancouver, Nayef is in... Um, is in Seattle and they lived across the border from each other and saw each other every week and then they got married in a small ceremony in Canada on Valentine's Day in 2014 and then finally in early 2015 they got an appointment with the U.S. Immigration Department in Montreal um, to talk about Betu getting citizenship because they are now a married couple oh. and Naev says he, re- he clearly remembers the day he said it was one of the biggest days of my life we went in there, and I had a bunch of paper, photos, letters, like everything to prove his relationship. Like they were ready for a fight, and it lasted 10 minutes. He said the interviewer asked specific questions about how they met, how long they've been to each, to uh, how long they've been together, how they connect with each other. And after 10 minutes, she just said, "You're approved. Oh. You can. You have a visa to live in the United States." And he said he was so shocked, he began to cry and scream immediately. He said, "I lost myself. I really lost myself because this is finally happening. We could live together." We could live together. I want to wake up and see him in front of me. And when I close my eyes, he's the last face I see. So the two got married again on the Olympic Peninsula in August 2015 in what they called their dream wedding. Um, Nayef said he had always imagined their wedding, but it was more than they could have ever dreamed. And you can actually see footage of their wedding on YouTube. It's really beautiful. Oh, um, I'm they, definitely going to look it up. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, they're go- They're a gorgeous couple, and their wedding is out on this big cliff. It's beautiful. Um, so they now live in on Capitol Hill in Seattle, and after more of a decade of living apart, they are grateful to, at long last, be able to share a roof and a bed. We have a home, says Betu well an apartment but Nayef said it's like a palace for us and Nayef um, who now works as a home decor department manager is a US citizen and Betu has a green card and is due to become a citizen next year and he works as a building supervisor so their story has actually been turned into a documentary that you can watch called Out of Iraq and it premiered at the LA Film Festival in 2016 and They were actually kind of worried about how their families in Iraq were going to react to this film. Because even though they kind of knew what was happening, this was now like going to be out for everybody to see. Right. Um, And Betu's family initially disowned him. And, but it's after several months, he was able to speak with his family, and his mother eventually said that if he loved Nayef, then she loved Nayef. And Betu kind of says part of his, he thinks part of like changing the attitudes in the country is that you need to start with changing your family. And so that is like, he feels like that is part of like um, his advocacy. And, so the two of them were made grand marshals of the gay pride parade in Seattle in 2017. <gasps> Yay! And they said, Naev says, we don't have to hide. I can hold his hand when we walk down the street. And Betu agrees, it's so different for us now. Before we were so hopeless, but now we feel like we have a family. It's a gay, friendly city. I'm living the dream. I'm free. And they like their love has just grown. It's been four years since they've been married and living wow. together. And now instead of every day, they call each other every two hours. And Nayef says, I always tell him, you're the air I breathe. I can't live my life without him. Um, And I just want to say one last thing about this story, which is beautiful. But I just want to say that Nayef was actually extremely lucky to receive asylum. um, Because while under Obama, the U.S. government created a program to allow people who worked for the U.S. to get special visas, from the beginning that program has been severely underfunded and slow moving. And now under Trump, it's like basically halted. So yeah. the backlog to get these visas is over 60,000, and it's just growing. And so in 2018, only 48 of these visas were issued. And meanwhile, people who risked their lives to help the U.S. are now face threats of violence, kidnapping, and death. And a report last year basically said that these programs no longer offer a meaning, meaningful avenue to escape danger, um, that I mean, these stories are just like completely heartbreaking. And if you want to read more about it or find a way to help this organization, that's an organization that's doing really tremendous work, you can go to RefugeeRights.org, and this is the International Refugee Assistance Project, um, which provides free legal assistance to Iraqis who aided, aided the U.S. governments and are in fear for their lives but have been denied visas. So, um, so yeah, if you, I, it's something that I. I heard a story about it and just felt like yeah so sick because you're like these are people who were there and and probably saved the lives of a lot of um u.s military members and i know that there are a lot of um of people in the military who are working to help bring these iraqi translators especially over um but the government the us government like won't let them pass these background checks so it's just crazy um, but if you if you want to look into it or learn more about it, go
0: to refugee rights.org. Thank you. Oh my god, I love that story. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. And I'm like with a happy ending, but I'm like also yes, there are a lot of people out there that are not getting this happy ending. And yes. we need to do what we can to change that.
1: Yeah. Um, and also you have to look up, we'll post pictures of Betu and Nayef. They are so cute. Aww. They're like the cutest couples at couple. And there's all these pictures of them from when they are in the military to like now. And they're just gorgeous and happy and so positive about life. And it's just so refreshing and wonderful.
0: <sighs> That's amazing. I love it. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Okay. You know how I'm supposed to do the like... Uplifting love story. Please tell me you have an uplifting now, love story. I promise you, it is one. But there's gonna be some times where you're gonna be like, "What?" But you just <laughs> have to trust me on this. Okay. And I you're trust gonna have you. to like, you know, be in it to win it. I'm gonna get you there. Okay. All I'm right. Gonna I'm gonna get it. you to where we wanna go, which is to Happy Town. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Happy Town. All right. Okay. So, We're buckled up. In 2015, uh, restaurant manager Emma Perrier, and it's pronounced Perrier, because she is Franche. She's (laughs) Franche, but she lives in um, a a suburb southwest of London called Twickenham. She lives there, and she is, um, you know, recently single, like, mending a broken heart. Um, She just... Really wants to get back out there and find you know the love of her life, so she decides to download this app. It's called Zeusk. It's it's an online dating app. I guess it's popular in London because I've never heard of it, but I'm also not on dating. Apps. Right, I was gonna say I yeah. also wouldn't I have, know. I don't know, but apparently this this app Zeusk they pride themselves on like making sure that the people... They have some kind of like selfie verification system where they say that if they... They make people take selfies and they verify that they are who they say they are. So you can't get catfished or whatever. Oh, okay. So I was Um,
1: like, do they... Are they like... Calculating the distance between like arm and face, they're like, How far? I are maybe we? they make
0: them hold up like a newspaper, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they put their, their driver's, their driver's license? license. I don't know. Um, it says that there's like a three selfie um, <laughs> system for um, verifying their identity. Who knows? So, um, so she uses this app to find someone, and then one day. She gets a message from a dark-haired Italian named Ronaldo, Ron. He goes by Ronnie. Ronaldo. Oh, Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> not uh, Ronnie. I want to pronounce his last name right. It's a. Uh, I think it's Cicluna. It's S C I C L U N A. Yeah, that sounds. Does that exactly sound right? right. mm Hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm half Italian, so I'm probably right. You're probably like half right at least <laughs> yeah. so but she um it's a really handsome man that she says looks like her high school crash, okay. and so but the something about the way that the um, message was coming through it was like on her phone was blurred for a little while like she she all because she could see was his picture, but she couldn't see like what this message was until later that night and she like went home and was face she has a twin sister and she went home and she was like facetiming with her sister showing him all of his photos and they were ogling over how handsome he was and how good looking he was you know he looked like someone that was like in commercials just like a like a movie star yeah the so the message finally came through it materialized and it just said you look beautiful which is sweet. That and is so sweet. Uh, Ronnie was a 34-year-old electrician in England's West Midlands, which was 100 miles away from where she lived. Um, so they started talking, like they're both blue-collared workers, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they had a lot in common. He tried to speak to her in French, and then she tried to speak to him in Italian, but she was surprised when, like, this Italian man couldn't speak Italian. Uh-huh. Um, his excuse was that his mother was English, and his father was Italian, but spoke English. And he said that he only speaks Italian when he swears or curses. Okay. Uh, which is the, the way I speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so they finally like go, like they're messaging back and forth on this app, and then it finally develops into a you know a more intimate relationship, and they stop using the app, and they're just texting, and they're calling, and they're talking would talk all night long, and they had cute little pet names for each other. And um, she really, she called him Stinky, and he called her Stinky. Um, But anyway, they wanted to, and they both agreed to delete the app because they didn't want to date anymore. They had found the one that they wanted to be with. So they only lived a 100 miles away yeah um and so she kept asking him she wanted to see him and she kept asking him to come meet her and um you know let's get dinner and uh, but he kept having excuses like just spending time with my dad and or my you know my mom's worried about me and i just need to spend more time with my family and she's like you know well what if you had a girlfriend to take care of you you know she just keeps pressing on. like right. She just wants to meet him and she doesn't understand why he doesn't want to meet her. She asks him to FaceTime. He doesn't want to FaceTime. He says it's something that only teenagers do and he doesn't want to do that. And they keep saying how much, but he keeps telling her how much she loves him and um, he loves her and yeah. she keeps telling him how much she loves him. And she even like talks about him to her co She works at an Italian restaurant and they're like, yeah, dude, this guy's probably not who he says. Okay. He is. Like, I was yeah. like,
1: good. I'm, I'm like, cause that's what I'm. Thinking. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously. Yeah. So
0: everybody <laughs> is like the fact that he doesn't want to meet you and you live a hundred miles away. Right. And like, it's pretty obvious red flag, that red flag, red this flag. isn't who he says he's going to be. But the app did say that they have a system for, it has to be the person it says that they are. So Then six months go by, and they still haven't met, and her family thinks she's crazy, her coworkers think she's crazy, and, you know, she didn't want to listen to them, but then finally, like, one night, she decided to use another app on her iPod called uh, Reverse Image Search, Okay. which you've heard of it, right? Yes. Yeah, so she puts his profile picture into the Reverse Image Search, and it comes out that um, all these photographs from a model, an actor that, um, from Turkey. Okay. So it's a man named Adem Guzel. And so she was confused and was like, what the heck, um, you know. Uh, Ronnie. What the heck, Ronnie. So she messages Ronnie and asks him, like, do you want to tell me anything about this guy, Adem Guzel? And then he tells her, that's me. Um, that was an old name that I used to use for modeling and it was a long time ago. And so she, so like he still wasn't telling the truth, but she still wanted to believe in the fantasy. So she kept like, she, she took his word for it and she was like, okay, well if you say so, you know, Adem, whoever you are. But then like after a while things started not adding up, like for instance, um, Ronnie's computer broke. And um, he got a new computer, but he set it up using his personal email address, not this fake one that he had made to support who he said he was. So when she got a message... From Ronnie, like Ronnie talking to her, it was coming up that it was from a man named Alan Stanley. Uh, Right, Alan Stanley. Let's find out who you are. Yeah, Alan Stanley. So she um, called him out on that also, and he said that, no, I bought this computer from someone else, and they must have, I haven't changed it yet, I guess. So I guess that's who Alan Stanley is. So after a while, she starts to do her own investigation. She's pulling a jank. She's okay. A Jane, all, right, Jane. all right. So she, um, he had sent her a photograph from, um, a, an aquarium that he went to, of a fish, um, the Finding Nemo fish. Uh huh. And so she, I'm familiar. Are you? Yeah. The clown fish. And so she took the photo and put that into the reverse image app, and it came out that it was a picture on a Tripadvisor review of the aquarium, but the it would the review was it says it was written by Alan S.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Bum, bum, so bum. she called him out. That's Alan Stanley. Do you want to know who Alan Stanley was? Yes, I
1: do. Yes, I do.
0: So Alan Stanley was actually a 53-year-old shop fitter, um, which is, I guess, a decorator of retail stores. Okay. They call that a merchandiser here in the States. <laughs> um, but Alan uh, lived alone in Stratford. And he was, he made up this alter ego, Ronnie, who was like a ladies' man, charming and attractive. And it was everything that Alan uh, was not. He said that he wasn't feeling the most attractive of people, you know, and he struggled with self-confidence. So, and he was going through a messy separation. He just said he just felt like he needed somebody to talk to. So he he was like, I know what I'll do. Yeah,
1: I'll catfish someone.
0: Totally. He was married for 22 years and his marriage failed. Uh, he also has an adult daughter and he said that he just found himself completely uninterested in the opposite sex after his divorce failed, but that he just like wanted to talk to people. That's what he says. Uh-huh. So he just decided to make up these uh this fake Yeah, you you want, if you want to, to talk, talk to people. To people. You yeah. don't
1: you don't become a Turkish model yeah totally just talk to to somebody
0: yeah so when Emma finally realized what was going on and that he was this guy Alan Stanley she flipped out and told him like don't ever talk to me again and, and he was so apologetic. He was very, very apologetic. And mm-hmm. he said he told her everything that, you know, he felt like such a, like, they both felt like fools. They cried. He told her he was 50, but really he's 54. So he, even when he's telling her the truth, he's not really telling her the truth. Right. She dis- wants this Adem Guzel to know that this guy is using his picture to catfish women. So she decides to contact him and she wrote him a message on Facebook. And who was living in an apartment in um, Istanbul at the time, he was like laying at home and he didn't feel good. He said he was sick and um, he gets this message from a woman, Emma, telling mm-hmm. him that, you know, I was catfish. They used... This guy used your picture. And he said that this is, it had actually happened before. Right. Um, He's but like, usually, oh, so
1: handsome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but his... Um, but it always happened, like, in his country. And his manager would always take care of it and handle it or whatever. So the fact that, like, this woman from England was reaching out to him, he thought it was a little bit strange. But he said, like, I didn't feel good. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But for some reason... He just something in his ear was telling him to pick up the phone. He sexually gets out of the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> towels off, <laughs> and, uh, the music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, and then, <laughs> and then calls her. Yeah. Um. So they um. So they wrote back and forth, and then they actually she, and she was like, he was you know telling her, I'm so sorry this happened to you, and she goes, How can I even know that you're who you say you are? And so right away, um, they do a face time call like a okay. video call and it, she you know it proves that he is who he said he was so she's like of course immediately like in tears and in love because she's like oh my god you are real and it's like yeah he's a real person but he is not the person you've been talking to right that was for, paul s yeah or Post- Al- alan stanley yeah oh, alan s um, not paul Stanley. paul stanley is a
1: is he in kiss What's that? I think Paul Stanley is in Kiss.
0: Yeah, Paul Stanley is in Kiss. So. Pretty sure. So it, wasn't it wasn't Paul Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Adem was, you know, a, a model and he wanted to be an actor. And um, it says here that he refused uh, to enter a Turkish reality show, uh, which he said, because it ca- operated on a casting couch basis. Oh, okay. So right. I mean, like, they wanted him to do it. Yeah, they wanted him to do, do it. it. Okay. So, because he didn't want to just reality show, he like took a break from acting and modeling, and then moved into his friend's apartment as a temporary manager. So that's what he, where he was at with his life. And right away, he's very open with talking to her, facetimeing. He even facetimes with her twin sister. You know, he's just like he is who he says he is. He yeah. puts it all out there, and they talk. Um. So, but after a while, their conversation actually fizzles out, and they kind of stop talking. So, in November of two thousand sixteen. Because of the long relationship that they had, um, Emma and Alan, as, you know, of like this like friendship that they had formed, yeah, they both thought that it was really important to have some kind of a closure and meet face to face. So he took a train over to where she lives, and they met. He says the hug went on for a minute, and it was very quite tearful when they finally met each other. And then they, like, walked and talked all night long. But Can you give
1: me a visual of what he looks like? Because I am
0: picturing, like, um, Tommy a, a troll. Tommy <laughs> <Lizzo. laughs> Who? Um, from The Room. Nope. Yep. I don't know who that is. <laughs> you don't know? You've never seen The Room? I don't think so. Oh, Sally. Oh, holy shit. We have to stop. oh when this podcast is over i'm gonna make you watch the room i cannot believe you don't know who tommy Wiseau is and you've never watched the room no holy it's like the best worst movie ever made
1: oh no i do know who you're talking about was there a did they make a movie about him with um um one dude what's it franco
0: yes Yes, James Franco. Okay, no, him. I do yeah, know yeah, what that guy is. Okay. I've never seen
1: the room, but I do know what the guy looks like. So That's okay. what Alan oh, S. looks like. No, Alan yeah. S. Gross. Sorry.
0: So gross. Um, they like walked around um, a lined pathway that's actually known as um, Lover's Walk. They walk around Lover's Walk. And um, and actually, Alan asks, says according to his Fitbit, it was twenty thousand steps, and it was <laughs> the longest and best walk of his life. So they talked and talked, and he says that he oh he goes it was a perfect night. She paid for dinner that evening, Italian restaurant in Paddington. That's what made it a perfect night for you. Was that she paid for your dinner? Right, you hobo. <laughs> hobo, that's what the B hobo. <laughs> and so... Uh, so they had this, like, romantic walk or whatever, but nothing really happened, but they still um, kept meeting um, up. They couldn't kind of erase each other from their lives. They bought each other gifts. It was a relationship that was built, you know, on friendship.
1: On a pack of lies. On
0: a pack of lies, yeah. According to Alan, he says that, you know... Their fr- it was, like, a, you know, a very pure, beautiful friendship, but Emma just, like, couldn't get the lies out of her head. Like, she still couldn't really forgive him for the fact that he was, like, A, way older than he said he was. He right. was actually two years younger than her dad. And B, that he had lied so many times.
1: And C, that he looked like a real creeper.
0: Right, right. And then, of course, she was like, but that, a damn guy, he's pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> So... She keeps thinking about Adem, you know, this hot, hot Turkish model. Yeah. So they start talking again and they strike up another uh, sort of flirty texting exchange. And then she decides to send Alan a goodbye text message. And in her goodbye text message, which she sent on March 31st, 2017 was, Alan, I wanted to tell you that tomorrow I'm going to pack up, pick up Adem at the airport And I still don't know if it's good or bad, but I'm going to meet my, quote-unquote, Ronnie. My Ronnie. Uh You built up all this shit. I'm not sure if I should thank you or detest you for that, but this is happening. So on April Fool's Day, 2017... Could you pick a better day, (laughs) Lady Catfish? Um, So on April Fool's Day... Um, she waited for Adem, um, which I guess I, I like totally skipped over the fact that she had invited Adem to come visit her in London okay. and he immediately agreed. Um, whereas, you know, she couldn't even get Ronnie right, to, to like come have down dinner. Right, to for like, yeah.
1: take a train ride down.
0: So he immediately comes, she goes to pick him up and when, um, they met and they were both kind of shaking, they were nervous or whatever it, it and then when they go... Huh? And Alan walks off the plane. No. Oh, okay. No, Alan. <laughs> and so um then um and she said that when he got there, um, she couldn't believe he was even like taller than she thought and even more handsome than she thought. And then when they were waiting for their the car to come pick them, for the Uber to come pick them up, she just turned around and laid a big one on them yeah. and just smooched him right up. And then she says, three minutes later I felt like uh, he said three minutes later I felt like I've known her a long time. And then she immediately gave him a key to her apartment and they like, you know, toured the city together and spent like a week together in her, a London apartment mm. and they have been together ever since. Wow. Oh. And they've gone, um, I feel like I did that like really anticlimactically at the end but, I mean, it's really kind of like so then they met and then they immediately fell in love and they've been together ever since. And they've, they've actually gone on like a tour interviews on TV. You can, if you Google them, you can see them like talking about how their, uh, the catfish turned into real romance and they love each other very much. But this is a love story and they're, they are madly in love. Yeah. It is a positive story, right, except for the catfishing thing. But there's something that i just it doesn't sit well with me which is like her like basing love purely on what this guy looks like you know what i mean oh, right i, well, I feel maybe, like maybe,
1: but maybe that's not the case i mean no, maybe if he had been like a total dud when she'd talked to him
0: maybe i guess but she says that like he is a very different person than the, the who she thought was Ronnie, that Ronnie was very arrogant and like, more confident and a little bit loud and obnoxious, sort yeah. of, and that Adem is very, like, quiet and reserved. And so it's, like, so if the personalities are so different, the one factor that you just, like, are so head over (laughs) heels for is the fact that he's like smoking hot and I'll post a picture of the both of them for sure. And he basically, he looks like a Turkish Josh Hartnett. He's like very handsome.
1: All right. Well, but I don't
0: know. I'm being a hater. I'm being a hater. They love each other. They found each other. It all worked out. They're in love. I mean,
1: I thought I thought it was going to end up with Alan, and I was like, this See, is See, that's not... what I was saying. It keeps going back and forth. Yeah, that's I was like, I, was I, saying, can't, I can't get on board with this. Stay
0: with me on this one. But... Um,
1: I have my doubts, but you really came through in the end. Yeah. And look at us and in, then, in Happy
0: Town. And since they went on around to different television stations doing these interviews yeah. about their love, it is, uh, a lot of people saw it, and it has since come out that like there's a handful of women that have reported these fake... Uh, being catfished by Alan. Oh, S. by Alan. Yes, by him in particular. So his whole little thing about being like, "I'm just a sad old man who never, 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 I never her." It's bullshit, and he's just doing this to a lot of people. Well, so. I just
1: feel like I know this is gonna be wrong because we're always asking people to rate and review. But I feel like if you're writing reviews regularly on TripAdvisor,
0: that like you're probably <laughs> a bad person. Fish that you saw. Like, yeah, there's fish there. It's an aquarium. It's yeah, it's spread. like, come on. It's like you just want attention.
1: So, yeah, I believe that he was a catfisher.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is a catfisher.
1: Uh, well, that's an amazing, crazy story.
0: I hope I did okay. It's like, okay, let me just do a real quick. I need to shout out to, this was written by uh, Jeff Mache. Um, For the Atlantic is the main article that I got most of my information from. So I apologize for um, butchering his well-written story. So I hope that I did okay staying linear.
1: No, I think you did great. Okay. Well, thanks Um, Atlantic. (laughs) Thank you Atlantic for all of your good reporting. Do you have a good one? I think I do have a good one. Good. Okay. Hey, Jen. Hey Sally. So today I'm doing the love story and since it's our big Valentine's Day episode, I'm going to do something that I promised to do in one of our very first episodes. Today I'm going to tell the story of how I met my husband Ben.
0: Oh yay! Okay so. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Perfect. So it all started with a phone call from who else? Dr. Dudefuck. Dr. Dudefuck. Yeah. So in March of 2002, I was stuck in traffic in Chicago when I got a call from Dr. Dudefuck, who, if you're new to the podcast, is what we call my best friend, Erin. And she told me, she was like, dude, I think I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And so if you don't know, the Appalachian Trail or AT is a hiking path that runs about 2,200 miles. It starts in Georgia and it goes all the way up to Maine. And when Erin said she was going to hike it, she meant she's going to hike the whole thing. So she was going to do a backpacking trip that would take about five months. That's so hard. So we talked about it a little bit. And then she had to go get ready for her job at the time she was working as a nurse's aide in St. Louis. And when we got off the phone, I was still, like, five miles from my office, which meant another hour in the car. And at the time, I was working for a nonprofit, and I would have to go out to the Chicago suburbs all the time. So I spent, like, hours in my 86 Honda Civic, and it had no CD player, no air conditioning, the radio barely worked. And I would drive in you and out of get a boombox the- and you sit in your front seat. That's <laughs> I what I did. did yes, I, did. I had I had a little portable speaker that I put to a CD player. But it would be hard because I have to have my windows down because it was so hot. Yeah. And I couldn't hear my little speaker. It was very complicated. Yeah. So, but I was driving back into the city that day and I thought about Aaron's plans. And I decided, I was like, I'm jealous. I... Longer I sat there, the more jealous I got. And so, before I'd even gotten to my office in downtown Chicago, I called Aaron back and I was like, "I'm coming with you." And so that was it. Like that, my life changed course. I had like wow. up until that moment, I had been working in a job that I loved, but I knew wasn't a long term position. There wasn't anywhere to move up, and I wasn't sure what my next move was gonna be. But I, like as soon as I said, "I'm coming," my plans fell into place because I was like, "Well, I need to make a plan for after." So. Aaron had been planning to go to med school after the hike, and so I decided, I'm, I'm going to go to law school. I like took the LSAT immediately. I applied wow. to law school, and that was kind of an idea. Up until then, I had only given passing thought to. I also realized very quickly that since I could barely pay my rent each month, as it was on my nonprofit salary, there was no way that I could save enough money to, to hike the trail, which is five months with no working on by living and living in Chicago. So I decided that when my lease was up in October, I was going to move to Florida where my boyfriend of 3 years, his name was Keith, that's where he lived and I could work rent free and I could still work at my job and kind of from home. So, wow. So when I got to Florida, Keith and I kind of realized that like living together was not what we thought it was going to be. I felt totally trapped because I was working at the apartment all day by myself. I didn't know another person in Florida. And he was overwhelmed because now all of a sudden there's this person in his space. And yeah. as soon as he got home, I'd be like, hey, Hi. can we talk? About <laughs> yeah. So, but as time went on, we kind of started to figure it out. We went to the weddings of a couple of our close friends and we started talking about like, maybe that'll be us. Like we were, we met in college. And so we had a lot of college friends that were starting to get married. And, and I was like, yeah, I think so. But like, let's wait until I get back from the trail. Mm-hmm. So Aaron and I started our hike at Springer Mountain, Georgia on February 23rd, 2003. The trees were covered in snow. And that first few weeks wow. of hiking. Yeah, it was so like freezing. It was so cold. <sighs> yeah. First weeks of hiking were really, really hard. I was totally out of shape. I immediately developed blisters. It was like in the 30s at night and it rained wow. almost every day. We were miserable and I thought about quitting more times I mean I would like all day long be like I'm gonna quit I'm gonna quit at the end of today I'm gonna quit at the end of the day but Erin was she's just like a person who's like she sets her mind to something and there's no looking back I was just like well she's still going so I'm not gonna quit now you know like so I just would keep following her like I That's would never so awesome. yeah I would have never made it out of Georgia if she hadn't been I know there. so
0: many people that Quit after a couple of days or... It, it's crazy. Like, you know, you plan this whole hike. Or just hike. did like a month of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like this... The first place you can
1: stop once you start is about three days in. And it's mm-hmm. called... It's actually really close to where we... To where Brastown Ball, where we went hiking. Uh-huh. And it's... There's this little center. You can use a payphone. You can like get hot meal and you can stay there. And that is where a third of people quit. So it's like these people plan to be out there for six for months, months. And three days in, they're like... Yeah, this is not this is not what I thought it was going to be. So it
0: gets does it get easier just like the more used to it you get? Yes, okay. totally. It's like you know, it's you, like you're, you need to condition yourself. You have to condition, like yeah. not
1: only you can have to condition your body, but your mind to be like in this mindset of I'm hiking all day, every day. And this yeah. is, you know, before smartphones or, I mean, you couldn't even get radio stations. So we would take, we had cassette tapes that we would wow. listen to sometimes, but you are alone with your thoughts and you were doing some really hard physical stuff. You're carrying 40 pounds on your back. You're sleeping every night in like the freezing cold and... It's rough. It's rough, yeah. but it's I mean it's amazing, but it also is especially in the beginning it's really hard. And we got into a routine. Like we would we would wake up every morning, we'd make our breakfast, we'd pack up our bags, and then we'd hike all day. We'd know where we were going to stop each night. Each night we'd stop at a shelter to cook dinner and sleep all along the Appalachian Trail. Every 5 to 10 miles there are shelters where hikers stay. And they're generally like a three-sided wood structure. They're near a water source, so you can always get water for the night or the next day. And along most section of the trail, back like you can you could like pitch a tent anywhere, but like Aaron and I always stopped at the shelters because this gives us a definite place to stop where we know we're gonna we know how far we're gonna hike today. where right. pl- We have a place to sit. We can be out mm-hmm. of the weather. We can get water. So so about a week after we started on March first. Ben had started his own hike of the AT. So Ben is from Delaware, and but he had been living in Madison, Wisconsin, and he was running a Whole Foods bakery after he graduated from college. And so he and his friend had moved to Wisconsin on a whim. They had put a list of cities in a hat that they thought would be fun to move to. God, that's so wild. Isn't that awesome? They yeah. Actually, the first one they drew was Savannah, but they thought... It was too small. Maybe there wouldn't be enough jobs. And so the second place they they drew was Madison, Wisconsin. And they just moved. Wow. And his friend actually was running a restaurant. And he met his wife, his now wife, there. Ben had grown up traveling to national parks with his family. And hiking the AT had always been his dream. And like me, he had a serious relationship back home with a girlfriend and his plan after hiking the trail was to move to Chicago with her and apply for grad school. And so he walked the first three days with his dad, but then after that, Ben was on his own. Wow. So, okay. So although this is now we're fast forwarding. So it was a rough start, but by May, Aaron and I had made it all the way to New Jersey and we were seasoned hikers. We were, you know, there was like, we were there. We were like in it. So everyone... Who hikes has kind of their own plan for how how long they want to hike in a day, how how often they want to stop in towns, and everyone hikes at different speeds. So like sometimes you'll hike for two days or two weeks with people, and then you won't ever see them again. Or sometimes you'll hike a day with somebody, and then you'll see them five days down the road. We were pretty full speed ahead because we both were going to grad school, and so we were like, we have to be done by a particular date. Yeah. We can't stop very often so we were kind of ahead of the pack but by may we had this like core group of friends that we were hiking with most of the time and two of those friends um, steve and john had told us about this guy they had met earlier on the trail named ben and they told us about his girlfriend they told us about his plan to move to chicago and we found out that he was hiking with another guy that aaron and i had known from the beginning of our hike named mike So in the shelters where we would stay each night and where we'd stop for lunch each afternoon, there were these notebooks for hikers to write in. And so most people who were hiking um, would stop and would write something in a notebook like, here's where we're headed. Like, this is what happened today. And you would write notes to friends who were behind you. And so we started in these notebooks writing notes to Mike and to Ben, who we'd never met at this Uh point, being like, hey, we heard you were like a couple days behind us. Catch up. We're... Um, we tell them plans and I started writing to Ben and saying like, oh, you're going to love Chicago. I just moved from there and I would joke, hey, when you catch up with us, you and I are going to be best friends. And so I started calling him best friend Ben and then I started calling him BFB.
0: And- which is his, which um, is his initials. Insta- yeah. and it, it's on Instagram, well, can I give it away? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> oh, on Instagram, he's BF Brooks. Yeah. And I guess I, I just now made that connection. I'm like, oh, he's best friend of books. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so he,
1: well, he, so he, one of his, one of the plans I was writing Mike and Ben in these registers or these trail notebooks was that the second weekend of May, Aaron and I were going to get off the trail and go to this thing called Trail Days. And Trail Days is like this huge pi- hiker party that takes place every year during the hiking season in Damascus, Virginia. Do you take the peyote and hula hoop? Oh, I'm sure people do. It's like totally. Like ben likes to describe it as a parking lot scene at like a fish concert, which yeah. I I have never been to. I mean, he was like super into jam bands, but I'm like, yeah. I don't. I don't understand that at all. But yeah, so wherever like hikers are on the trail, they will make their way back down to Virginia. Like people who've pi- hiked in the past come and it's just this huge, wow. it's a huge festival with thousands of sweaty hikers taking over this little town. And so Aaron and I had rented a car with another hiker and we had drove, driven down from New Jersey. Did and, that feel weird to be in a
0: car? After, yes. Oh and my like God.
1: seeing, we basically drove we drove 81, so it was all these towns we had hiked through. It had taken us, like, all these months to hike, and in, like, six hours we were...
0: <laughs> we had driven wow. it. It was so crazy. Oh, wow. So you drove six hours
1: off the trail to go to this thing? Well, we d- it was maybe even more than that because it was from New Jersey to Virginia. Wow. Yeah. So we drove That's down, crazy. and... Yeah, and Aaron's brother met us there, and, like, we had friends that hitchhiked all the way down... <gasps> from like wherever they were and everybody tries to like meet back up because it's like you see
0: people that you've uh, met once or I can see the payoff being huge. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, But that just seems like such a – to hike so far and then get in the car and drive six hours away from what you just did. Yeah, It's a little just, demoralizing. It gives me anxiety. anxiety. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't like, even do it. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, oh, my
1: gosh. So we didn't know at the time, but Ben and Mike were only about 20 miles behind us. And they got off the trail too. They rented a car and they made their way down to trail days. So only a few hours after we got to Damascus. So there's like thousands of people there. Yeah. But Aaron and I are like wandering around this tent village where everybody sets up their tents and their chairs and everybody's drinking and there's drum circles and it's a whole thing. I was like, this is my first drum circle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, And we heard our old friend Mike calling our names and next to him is this guy. He had like a ton of big curly hair and a bushy beard and these huge green eyes and he introduces himself as Ben and I had like pictured him as just this short and kind of dumpy <laughs> guy I don't know why but he I was like oh this guy's hot like he's he, I had like actually described him in my, as my in my journal which just shows you how young I was at the time I was like he's a chill cool hottie <laughs>
0: chill cool hottie cool, hot that's what we're gonna call ben now <laughs>
1: um it was in our wedding <laughs> so i asked him i was like oh my god did you read my did you get my messages and he was like yeah you know what's weird is that those are my initials bfb in real life my real my name is ben francis brooks that and i was so like crazy. what And then I said, I said to him, I said, well, I guess it's fate. We'll have to become best friends. And then he said, okay, I'm in. And that was our first things we ever said to each other. Oh my God. So that whole night we talked and we drank and we ran around this wild party together. At one point, Aaron and I were somewhere else and I saw Ben and I like sat next to him. And I was like, all right, you said we're going to be best friends. Let's be best friends. Tell me about your life. And then, and we talked forever. I told him about... Keith, my boyfriend, I told him about going to law school. I asked him about Chicago and his girlfriend, and he told me that about a month earlier, right after he'd ran into our friends Steve and John, that he and his girlfriend had actually broken up, and um, and now he was like, I'm not sure where I'm going to go after this hike. I don't know if I'm going to go to Chicago anymore, probably not. So we we ended up hanging out with Mike and Ben all weekend, and actually at the end of the two days. We are sitting in this circle with all these hikers and like people we knew and people we had just met. You know, this is before cell phones or I mean, we had cell, phones, but not smartphones. But right. I took out my disposable camera and I took a picture of Ben like across the way because I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. He's I gotta He's get such a chul hottie. I got such a hottie. I just going to snuck a picture, you know. At one point, we were very drunk and and Aaron was like you're like leading him on you need to tell him you have a boyfriend and I was like he knows I have a boyfriend he knows I have a boyfriend and then she was like this is it's not cool man and I looked and I turned best around friend. I turned around to Ben and I was like I gotta go I was like you just know I'm a good girl <laughs> and <he was> Like, <laughs> okay <laughs> so anyway so we we hung out with them all weekend. But at the end of the two days, we all went back to the trail and they were still 20 miles behind us, which is like a full day. So that's a hard distance to make up. It actually took them like another three weeks and three states before they caught up with us. They did actually. So they were like doing huge days and we actually stopped in New York City because we were like, catch up with us, we're we're stopping. But Mike's brother came up to visit that he had already planned. And so it's just like when somebody who – isn't a hiker comes you have to go much slower like, yeah so but then they ended up hike 36 mile days to catch up with us but they wow. did it but it took three weeks <sighs> before they caught up so the night that we were reunited did you with, think about him all the time over those three weeks i thought about him a lot so the weekend that we were at trail days i had talked about how i ran out of this lip balm like it's just like whatever i was like uh-huh. oh, i ran out of my lip balm i have to buy some at the at the one of the stores. And I see him like crossing the street. He's like, hey, wait up. And then he like comes over and he gives me this little thing of lip balm. He's like, Aww. oh, it's just at the store. I saw it. I thought I'd give it to you. And so every time I you put on my lip, lip balm. Out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i like, I had a boyfriend and I was very serious about, I am not going to be a bad girlfriend. I don't know. I felt very, very good
0: girl. Sound. Cause I'm a good yeah. girl. and I'm yeah. a good
1: girl. And I had been with Keith for a long time and I felt very like, even though, yes, I was like, Completely attracted to Ben. I thought he was so cute. So whatever. But I I am a loyal... I'm going to be loyal. like Right. Yeah. So the night that we reunited with Ben and Mike, Ben pulls out this book out of his bag and gave it to me. And on our drunken night, we had been talking about books. And I was like, oh, I only read garbage. And so he was like, oh, I'm going to find you a decent book to read. And he... Went to a used bookstore, and he had been carrying it around for the last three weeks, like <gasps> just in case he ran into me, this Kurt Vonnegut book. Oh, my God. So... A lot of people questioned whether or not Ben and I got together before I broke up with Keith. Long before I had met Ben, I had been kind of rethinking my relationship with Keith. And Keith, it was a no bang. judgment, no. <laughs> I mean, now in retrospect, when you're like, you guys have been together for 17 years, I think it's probably okay. Yeah, yeah. But, like, but Keith was—I mean, he was this wonderful, nice sweet person who I had zero in common with. He was a college boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I had talked, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like when I told my friend Steve that we were thinking about getting engaged after the trail. And he asked me why, like, only answer was like, Well, we've been together for a long time. And he was like, That's so dumb. Like yeah. that's the dumbest answer ever. So and Keith had come out to visit me once, um, about a month into the trail, and things were like so strained between us. And I think being on the trail didn't necessarily make me I it wasn't it didn't change, I didn't have this big change, but it actually helped me see myself more clearly. I had gotten in this college mindset of, I don't know, I mean, I just... Just like, I,
0: go, go, go. Yeah, well, like,
1: and I was like, okay, well, this is a nice person who wants to be with me. I right. wasn't like, what do I want? I felt, on the trail, I was like, I was felt stronger, I felt more capable. I could see, finally, that like, oh, I don't actually want this life that Keith, I felt like he wanted for us, like, to get married, to have a house, to have kids, all of those things, like, live near his family in Indianapolis. Like, that's actually why I ended up applying for law school at University of Cincinnati, which is where I ended up going, is because Keith wanted to be near his family. Oh, wow. So like it wasn't that I didn't want those things. It's just that at 25, I didn't want my my future to be set in stone. Right. You know, I was like, I, I don't mind that. I, I mean, I have those things now. But I was like, I don't want that to be what I have to have, you know? Right. So in June, Keith met me in New Hampshire for another visit. And actually, the first thing he said to me when he got there was, I think we should break up. Wow! So a few days after, good on him that, for
0: coming all the way there to tell you that, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a there was a, it was a little back and forth, but I oh, mean, okay. I think he was being a bit dramatic at the time. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, just okay. like I don't, I, I miss you too much, and but a few days after that, after Keith left, Ben and I kissed for the first time. And our whole group had gone into town. I know. (laughs) We were in Vermont and we had gone into town for the night. We'd had drinks and food. And at the time, the kiss felt like so romantic Uh and like sexy and exciting. But I was like, I can't believe this is my life. This is my luck. I'm in Vermont. There's this like hot, smart, funny, kind person who thinks that I'm awesome, you know, and we're kissing. And that's how it felt. But like in reality, we were so drunk we were dirty we were doing a (laughs) lot of sloppy tongue kissing and we were standing in the middle of the street for like two hours just like making out and it became very clear this car comes by and honks its horn at us and is like it's the waiter at the restaurant where we'd been drinking. And he was like, you guys need to get out of the street and go home. Oh, it was my like God. three in the morning. Honestly, that kiss was like it for us. We were both smitten. Aww. We were both. There were no questions. There were no games. No like, will we, won't we? Yeah. It was it. We were together from that day. And that was on June 12th. And then... That's my
0: birthday. Is
1: it? Yeah. I didn't
0: know, know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also in Frank's birthday. <laughs> George Bush... Who else? Senior. Um, this guy, Tyler Tioli, that I went to high school with. Oh, Tyler Tioli! <laughs> <laughs> He's
1: like my second favorite June 12th. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, June, That was your birthday. Fate. And then by the beginning of July, Ben had asked me how I felt about him moving to Cincinnati with me, which is where I was going to be starting law school And in August. And he said... He was like, I just feel like this is something that I need to give a real chance to.
0: Oh. And
1: I was like, are you sure? It made me so nervous, but I just... He is taking this bold step to move somewhere where he knows nobody He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have anything. But he just wants to see if this is going to work. And I would have never done it the other way.
0: Like, I just was not that bold. Well, you did. Well, I mean, I guess you didn't. You knew Keith, but you did move to another city where you didn't know anybody.
1: Oh, right. But I did that for financial reasons. Well, (laughs) not for love. But I mean, and not. And I always say that like, oh, I, I wouldn't have done it. And I don't mean because I didn't feel the same way for Ben. But it's just that he was just. He was more. He was bolder than I was. You know. He really is cool and chill. He's really he's such a cool chill hottie. So, (laughs) when we finished the trail, we summited on July fifteenth. I went to Delaware with him and met his family. Did you guys
0: finish together? We did. Yeah. We all we finished
1: with Aaron and and our friends Steve and John. This other guy, um, Mike and Ben, and this other guy. His name is Turbo.
0: (laughs) So, what was it like when you hit the? Is there like a flag? Is there, there like is this a, is the a thing big you touch and you're done? Yes. there. So you climb up the biggest,
1: like this huge mountain. It's a really hard, it's called Katahdin. And at the top, there is this big sign that's like, this is the end. This Did is you this. cry? I don't remember if I, I don't think I cried. I'm like, I'm, oh my I'm an inappropriate crier. Like what I can't cry feeling? at the feeling? Right like
0: uh, six months, five months, six months? It took us a little under five months. On a trail and yeah. then... And then when you finished, and then you're what? What then? Were you just like, okay, now I just walked down the mountain. Then you walked back down the mountain, oh my and God. we had actually a lot of our family
1: and friends had come to cheer. Oh, that's yeah, great. To, and then walked to the last part, and they they got us a cabin, and so we all stayed, and we had a big party, and somebody's parents, I can't remember who got. Um, Bought lobster and steak. So we had like this huge meal. And we were all so thin because we've been hiking for forever. Oh, you bet. could eat like, I mean, you could eat anything. Your metabolism is crazy. You can't keep enough calories in you to like not lose weight. So I mean, right. we would just eat just enormous amounts. And then as soon as like we were done with the trail, we all gained so much weight because you're <laughs> still so hungry, but then you can't eat as much. But Ben's dad came and hiked the last part with him because he oh, had h- that's hiked so the cool. beginning. And hiked the end. And so I actually went back to Delaware his dad in his dad's van with Ben and his dad. And we drove there. And I met his mom and his family. And then we drove to Ohio and he met my family. And then so we both had to end up going back because his stuff was at his girlfriend, (gasps) ex-girlfriends, and my stuff was in Florida. (sighs) So I had to go to Florida, get my stuff, and then we moved into A little more than a month after our first kiss, we moved into a tiny studio apartment together in Ohio. And one year and two apartments later, he proposed to me on Halloween at the summer camp where I had gone as a kid at the spot that I had once told him that I imagined getting married. Aww. And then a year and a half after that, just weeks after I graduated from law school in 2006, we got married at that same summer camp.
0: Aww. And our
1: friend Steve, who first told me about meeting Ben, he was the officiant. Oh, that's so cool. Erin was our maid of honor, and Yay. all of our other hiker friends were there to celebrate. And it's been almost 17 years since we randomly met Hiking the AT. And even though like so much has happened in our lives since then, like we've lived in five states, we lived in another country, we've had a kid, we've had some really big wins as a couple and individually, and we've had lots of losses. When I'm with him, I'm back in that Vermont street and I like know how lucky I am to be with. I'm going to (laughs) cry. Like such like a hot, smart, funny, kind person who has become just an incredible father and partner.
0: It's a jerk off motion.
1: No <laughs> jerk of motion. off motion. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's
0: Valentine's oh, I Day. love it. I'm so glad you did the story for this episode because it's so amazing. I love it. Thank you. So great. You guys are so cool and chill. So chill. cool chill. Love you guys. <laughs> Alright, guys. That
1: was our love episode. Did you like it? Did, did you, you feel love it? Lovey. Did you love it? I
0: hope you loved it. I hope you were in a happy town. Because that's what we want. If you did love it or if you didn't love it, let us know. We want to hear from you guys. Feel free to email us at uh, dumblovepod at gmail.com or hit us up on the socials.
1: Hit us up on the social. You can hit us up at Dumb Love Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you know what, if you really need new content this week, if you're like, this was not good enough, join us on Patreon. We have a bunch of stuff over there. We have videos of us asking each other questions, of giving love advice, and we have four or five quickie episodes that would be all new to you. So go on over there hop on over to Patreon. It's a great place to be. And while you're doing that, we're going to be relaxing in the sun and or eating Tums.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, I can get my acid reflux under control by then. But anyway, (laughs) if you have any pointers, I'm all ears. We also hope that you guys are having a great summer and relaxing and getting some chill time. Yeah, Um, we love you guys. So chill and also... Get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum that I'm dumb dumb the dunder and that I'm dumb